Well, good morning, or afternoon, or evening, and peace be with you this very hour. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario. It is August here, and the weather has been lovely this last week. We continue along in the third stage of recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Ontario seems to have the pandemic well in hand, but this is not true worldwide. So we continue to be vigilant and mindful of others in parts of the world that have been more seriously affected. And the devastating chemical explosion in Lebanon, followed by the resignation of the government in power, has added another element of uncertainty to the world political stage, not to mention the humanitarian resources that will be needed to rebuild Beirut and aid the people in living through the destruction. And we continue this summer to look at the parables Jesus taught as told in the Gospels and to keep our focus on this idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as the book of Matthew refers to it. Jesus had startling news for his generation. The kingdom of God is already here, he declared. It's not coming soon. It's right here, right now. That was a pretty big idea to absorb. Because you will remember that the Roman Empire ruled the roost, and they kept the Hebrew nation under their heavy boot, demanding allegiance, obedience, and taxes. No wonder the writer of Psalm 42 wrote, All day long the people jeer and ask, Where is your God now? Where indeed was God, with the economic disparities widening, the violence increasing, and no seeming peace anywhere but Pax Romana, which was not in fact peace at all, but subservience and oppression. And all these years later, the statement has not changed. The kingdom of heaven is right here in our midst. Look around. Look around indeed. Where, where is this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about? The problem then is the same as the problem now. The people then, and all people now, are looking for divine intervention. And Jesus is pointing out that there is only divine collaboration. Or as Bishop Tutu so eloquently put it, God without you will not as you without God cannot. The kingdom of God is a participatory creation. God does not create it. We create it with God. As I said last week, and it bears repeating, the kingdom of God cannot be said to exist, nor can it be said not to exist. For though its tenets and boundaries and spirituality have been offered to us, 
It can only be seen and realized, at least in our lifetime, if we follow its lead, make choices that usher it into being, and participate with the Divine Spirit in the already existing matrix that stands before us. The Kingdom of God is not brought about by divine intervention. The Kingdom of God is brought about by participatory collaboration. So glad you are here with me today to learn more about the parables and how Jesus designed them to encourage this very participation then and now.
Our call to worship comes from the rewriting of some traditional lyrics to reflect our involvement in the bringing about of the kingdom of God. And our opening prayer is an adjustment of Marty Hagen's lyrics for the Mennonite hymn, Gather Us In. I heard the voice of Jesus say, We shall not live apart. You are beloved, O precious one, part of my life and heart. And so it is with everyone who wants to live in love. No boundaries are that stand between below and up above. Divine the spark in everyone, exceptions there are none. Though clouds may cover us with doubt, the truth is we are one. Our darkened thoughts and sinfulness are what keep us apart. The illusion of our separateness puts out our divine spark. So gather up now, everyone. Let go the lonely path. Communion is with everyone, with sky and trees and grass. Take up your spot with humble love, for all will have their place. May compassion rich and wisdom flow, and above all, divine grace. Let us pray together. Gracious One, Holy One, oneness that holds us all together, God of our ancestors and God of our future, gather us in. For a new light is streaming, Now is the darkness vanished away. See into our hearts, our fears and our dreamings, brought to you now in the light of this day. Gather us in, the lost and forsaken. Gather us in, the blind and the lame. Call to us now, and we will awaken we will arise at the sound of your name. We are the young, our lives are a mystery. We are the old who yearn for your face. We have been sung throughout all of history, called to be light in the whole human race. Gather us in the rich and the haughty Gather us in the proud and the strong. Give us hearts meek and lowly. Give us the courage to enter the song. We who partake of the wine and the water, we who partake of the bread of new birth, here we all are, your sons and your daughters, Call us again to be salt for the earth. Give us to drink the wine of compassion and give us to eat the bread that is you. Nourish us well and teach us to fashion lives that are holy and hearts that are true. 
Not in the dark of buildings confining, not in some heaven light years away, but here in this time the new light is shining. Now is the kingdom and now is the day. Gather us in and hold us forever. Gather us in and make us your own. Gather us in all peoples together. Fire of love in our flesh and our bones. say we shall not live apart you are beloved oh precious one part of my life and heart and so it is with everyone who wants to live in love no boundaries are that stand between below and up above Divine spark in everyone, exceptions there are none. Though clouds may cover us with doubt, the truth is we are one. Our darkened thoughts and sinfulness are what keep us apart. The illusion of our separateness puts out our divine spark. introduction to the Hebrew scriptures this morning is a bit of a short Bible study. When Bruce and I are putting the podcasts together, it's a very organic process. I am thinking about what is going on in the news, what's going on in the neighborhood, what particular questions or challenges have come to me that week through conversations, and what I might be reading or viewing or thinking about. Bruce, on the other hand, thinks about the music all the time, day and night. Well, except for the last few weeks, of course, when the Toronto Maple Leafs arrived in our house as the main focus of Bruce's attention. My condolences to all Leaf fans. If you need to come and see me for some grief counseling, I'll put the kettle on. But if perhaps you have decided at last to get out of a bad relationship that does not seem to be going anywhere, you can come and commiserate with Bruce because he, at the very least, will be sympathetic. But other than for those very brief spells when the Leafs offer up hope of victory on the ice, Bruce thinks about music pretty much all the time. And though we work on the music together, 
he often will have something he really feels needs to be given to you in a particular week. And this week, he wanted to include the hymn, As the Deer, which is based on Psalm 42, sharing the same opening lines from that ancient piece of writing. But as we were playing around with it, setting the key and such, I took a closer look at the lyric we are all in the habit of singing in the United Church and other denominations as well, and realized that the familiar lyrics were written in 1983 and come from the American publishing giant Maranatha Music. Maranatha Music comes to us from California, being formed in 1971 by Pastor Chuck Smith Sr. of Calvary Church. Pastor Smith's church was part of the Jesus movement that was coming out of the hippie generation. He wanted the songs the young people were writing and singing about their faith to be brought into the church proper. In the tradition of Martin Luther and John Wesley and William Booth, who inaugurated the Salvation Army, Pastor Smith wanted to bring what was seen as popular or secular music into the sanctuary. It was an unqualified success, and Maranatha music has been a hugely popular undertaking. This is where the idea of praise music comes from in large part. But when I looked at those lyrics more closely, I saw that what the lyricist had done was taken the opening line and some of the ideas from Psalm 42 and turned it into a Jesus song. Psalm 42 is not a Jesus song. It was written long before Jesus was born. Now, in a romantic sense, you could say that as we are Christians, all roads point to Jesus, and I suppose that is true in the same way you might say to a lover, I have always loved you. Is that so actually? Well, no, you did not love them before you met them. But as you love them now, that permeates all your memory. What I want to point out is that we are always looking through the eyes of a theology, all the time, in every song we sing. Right now you are listening to a podcast that is presented through the lens of my theology on this particular day, in my life, in the culture and the history that surrounds me. Theology is always shifting and changing as culture changes. Back in the early 80s, when the lyricist wrote as the deer, the one we are familiar with, in their culture, in California, they were living in the midst of the Jesus movement, and everything was filtered through that lens. The Jesus movement of the 70s and 80s drew attention back to how Jesus lived before the creation of the Christian faith, calling people to a communal way of living, to a simple way of living. It was an extension of an earlier charismatic tradition. Almost all the megachurches that emerged at the end of the 20th century are connected in some way to this movement. Just so you can see how this works, I'm going to read the first three verses from three translations of Psalm 42, 
And then you will hear the song in question with lyrics written in 1996, which are not through the lens of the Jesus movement, but more closely follow the original intent of the ancient Hebrew song, and which also are in our hymnal. The first reading comes from the King James Bible. The King James Bible was published in 1611 under the sponsorship of King James VI. It was the third English translation approved by the English church authorities. It was commissioned in order to counter those pesky Puritans who were pressing for further reform in the church. They wanted more simplicity, a lessening of church authority, and more involvement for lay people in the worship. The king, however, and his court wanted a definitive translation of the Bible that reinforced the importance of hierarchical ordained clergy, the episcopal structure of the Church of England, the rights and power of kingship, and the focus on Jesus as the saving power of the Church. All the contributors were men from the Church of England, and King James got just what he wanted. And we have the King James Version of the Bible that so many of us learned as children. Psalm 42, verses 1 to 3, King James Version. Heart, spelled H-A-R-T, is an older word for dear. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? The New Revised Standard Version of the Bible is an English translation published in 1989 by the National Council of Churches and is a revision of the Revised Standard and the American Standard. In contrast to the King James Version, the contributors include scholars representing Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant Christian groups, as well as Jewish representation in the group responsible for the Hebrew scriptures. The mandate of the committee was to create a version as literal as possible, as free as necessary. And here are the first three verses of Psalm 42 from the New Revised Standard Version. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Our third reading of these same three verses is from The Message, the Bible in contemporary language, translated by a single American minister, Eugene H. Peterson, and published between 1993 and 2002. So, 
consider for a moment the impetus of the three translations. The first, written by a group of men, all as part of the formal Anglican Ecclesia, and commissioned by the king with a specific agenda in mind. The second, overseen by a collection of different denominations and a more inclusive group of scholars. And the third, a single minister who wrote for the sole benefit of his own congregation, who wanted to hear the scriptures in a modern, accessible way. Peterson worked from the original languages, but used contemporary phrases and expressions that are particular to his time and place. A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God. Deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it, arrive, and drink in God's presence? I'm on a diet of tears, tears for breakfast, tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door, pestering. Where is this God of yours? And here is the entirety of the song with the melody you know, but lyrics that, though in our hymnal, are less familiar, but truer to the original Hebrew scriptures. Quiet be you, my rock. 
my spirit free Set my spirit free Set my spirit free Our second reading is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It is a familiar one and one that people can get very worked up about. And that's good, because that's exactly what Jesus intended. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I'm not going to break down this parable in the usual way that I do, because you're going to do that on your very own, over lunch today, or supper, or a drive in the car. Or if you want to come to an outdoor service, Primrose is hosting Sunday service beside their meditation garden this Sunday, August 16th at 10 a.m. And everyone is welcome. Wear a mask, social distancing will be in place, and bring your own refreshments. And there you can discuss this parable and express your outrage on the part of the landowner or the day laborers or the system that held them all captive, how it all looks in today's culture. You can just have a party and imagine all the different ways the parable can be viewed. Because that is exactly what Jesus intends you to do, to have a discussion with one another. 
Jesus had an agenda way back when he walked the face of the earth, and his methods still work today. He chose parables to usher in the kingdom of God. The parables are the perfect teaching method to encourage the collaboration between humans and God. Irish biblical scholar John Dominic Crossan says, Parables are participatory pedagogy. Wow, that's a mouthful. Parables are participatory pedagogy. Parables are stories that you must participate in in order to learn. They are told to ignite the crowd who is listening. Jesus gets people involved by upsetting them, by forcing them to ask questions, by causing conversation, dialogue, controversy. He talks about something that is familiar to his audience, then he turns everything upside down and quietly watches as they all start arguing with one another, participating, and therefore considering things in a new way and learning. There are laborers that are hired at different times, but they all get paid the same. And who complains? The ones who were there first. Why? Maybe because they have an understanding of what is fair and what is not. They have a system by which the economy works. And the economy is oppressive. It gives all the power to the landowner and none to the workers. The workers are expedient. Why do the workers who are hired earlier care? Because they are focused on money and its economy in their lives? Because money is their god? But then, is not this way of thinking reinforced by the entire social setup of the time? by the social and economic and political climate of our time? Some people have land, others do not. Those who have more exploit those who have less. There is an endless system of lack. The other needs to have less so that I can have more. This is as true for the laborers as it is for the landowner. And what about the laborers that are hired later? Why are they still standing there unemployed? Is this because they are infirm or old? Because they are unemployable? Perhaps they are the people nobody else wants? Does that make the earlier laborers feel even more outraged? Not only did the other workers arrive late, they didn't even do a decent job. This parable has shades of the prodigal son in it. The later arrivals being the prodigal and the early arrivals being the elder son. In both parables, the kingdom of God is seen to have a different economy than the one we hold as sacrosanct. The kingdom of God has a different way of measuring. And that way of measuring does not make any sense to the people listening to the story then 
or now. The kingdom of God demands that people think about everything from the ground up and look at a complete reversal of the status quo. There would have been so much arguing and yelling and vocal discussion about this parable in Jesus' time. And that is how Jesus forced people to start questioning the whole idea of land-owning, of proprietorship, of who gets what and when, of what is fair and what is deserving. Jesus wanted people to question the very systems in which they were embedded. That is what is happening now, right now. COVID-19 has given people time to consider who is being hired and who is not and why not, how people are being paid and how they are not. We're being asked to examine the systems in which we live as well as the hearts with which we make our economic decisions. It's complicated because people are complicated creatures. As Paul said, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? Oh, we want to be good. We say we desire to be people of God, but it requires so much of us so much changing in our thinking. Perhaps we might just begin with understanding that Jesus challenges our lives in every area and asks us to think again about everything. That I hide my art in complication I don't want it to be said That I hide away from what is cruel I don't want to think That I was capable of hatred But the truth, it's complicated It's complicated I don't want to spend my life Chasing photoshopped realities Wanting for the easy things That you can touch and you can hold Quantifiable results Others have created But the truth, it's complicated Oh, in truth, it's complicated Scales and measures, leaving my 
Last week, a woman from World Vision called me. Very unexpected. Bruce and I sponsor four young girls in various communities around the world, and we consider that part of our monthly tithe to the universe in general for God's work. I know so many of you do this as well. To be honest, though, I am negligent about my correspondence to the girls we support. World Vision takes my money every month, and I'm fine with that, but not so very good with the personal follow-up. So when they called, I thought it was to ask me to be a more involved sponsor or to see if I could give more money, all charitable organizations asking for donations these days. I was not prepared to do either of these things. But the lovely woman on the phone had other reasons for her call. Firstly, to say how much World Vision appreciated our 15-year sponsorship and our support of four communities that were flourishing. And then, to my great surprise, she asked how Bruce and I were doing and how we had managed through the pandemic. And then she asked me if there was anything in particular for which her team could pray. For me, for Bruce for the children, for our churches. I asked for prayers for the health of our son who was in isolation and waiting for a second COVID-19 test. It came in negative this morning. And I asked her to pray for Primrose and for Trinity and for all those who listen to our podcast. But it made me think that I do not often have the chance or perhaps I don't often take the chance to say how very much Bruce and I have appreciated everyone's tithes and offerings in the nearly five years we have been serving the pastoral charge. I am always aware that people have worked hard for their income and support the ongoing work of the church. It's kind of a miracle to me, really, it is, that you give constantly and consistently to something you can't always see 
and don't even know if it works really or how it works, only that you know it is faithful to do so and that the place of the church in the community in whatever shape that takes is important. So I thank you for that support for myself and Bruce personally, and for all that you have given to the spiritual work over the years that has visibly or invisibly supported your community at large. And know also that I pray for you in ways that you would not know and cannot know. But if there is anything specifically that you want prayer for, you only have to ask. And just a quick note to say, I hope you are enjoying poking around the new website. It will take time into the fall to have all the old material from our original website transferred to the new one, but all that is pertinent to now is there. You will also note something very important this week. We have a survey for you to take online to help us make decisions about whether to open up the churches again in September. That decision will be made at the two planned council meetings at the end of the summer, but we need you to fill in that survey as quickly as possible before August 20th. The care groups will have physical surveys they can distribute as well. And two, there is a short newsletter online this week, as well as a CD for you to download. Or, if you wish either of these in physical form, please send along a note to communications so it can be dropped off or mailed to you. And I know you have missed singing together, especially our closing benediction. So here it is for you now, and you can sing along at home. Every blessing for you this week. Stay safe and care for all who cross your path with generosity and grace. Go now in peace, never be afraid. God will go with you each hour of every day. Go now in faith, steadfast, strong, and true. No God will guide you in all you do. Go now in peace and show you believe. Reach out to others so all this world can
Go. Oh.